Welcome to Echoes Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we're talking to Dr. Tom Chambers about equine influenza. The Echoes Farm Calls podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Farnham. A shiny coat and luxurious mane and tail are a reflection of overall health that starts with proper nutrition. Revolutionize your grooming routine from the inside out with Farnham Laser Sheen Skin and Coat Supplement. This exclusive formula combines a proper balance of omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, amino acids, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants to maintain optimal skin and coat health. Nourishing ceramides maximize skin hydration by retaining moisture and forming a protective layer for a velvety soft coat. Formulated by nutritionists, Laser Sheen's proprietary blend delivers a show-stopping shine, supple skin, and healthy mane and tail growth. It contains a probiotic and is formulated in a palatable extruded nugget to support the digestion of nutrients. Whether you're at a show, on a trail, or riding at the barn, Laser Sheen Skin and Coat Supplement can help your horse make a lasting impression with a radiant coat and flowing mane and tail. Feed it year-round and watch your horse bloom. I'm Kim Brown, group publisher of the Equine Health Network. Dr. Chambers is a professor at the University of Kentucky's Gluck Equine Research Center, and he focuses on the study of infectious disease. He heads one of three global equine reference laboratories for equine influenza under the aegis of the World Organization for Animal Health. Dr. Chambers, who's been at the Gluck Center for nearly 32 years and who studied avian and human influenza viruses for 10 years before that, has been in the forefront of equine influenza vaccine research. Thank you, Dr. Chambers, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls to talk about equine influenza. Kim, thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, I've missed talking to you, so it's it's going to be fun today. And our, our listeners are in for a treat because this is somebody who really understands this and can tell us what's going on. So first, let's just get to the basics. What is equine influenza and why is it important to horse owners? Equine influenza is is very much like human influenza. It is a it is um, caused by a virus, an influenza virus. It produces um, um, a respiratory illness with with uh, the the signs that that anyone will recognize. You know, a cough, snotty nose. Um, you know, there's a fever. Um, it is important to realize, just like with human beings, that the horses can, the, pardon me, the symptoms can be um, um, different from one horse to the next. This horse here might have a, a 106 degree fever and the horse in the stall next door might uh, might not look sick at all. And uh, that, that does not mean that it, that it is not infected, that it's not shedding virus. In the natural order of, of things, this is one way that, that uh, the virus um, survives is by sometimes making it, its, its host not sick enough to do anything different. So in, in the case of a human, you know, a, a person might think I'm, you know, I just have a little bit of snotty nose. I can still go to work. And and next thing you know, there's three people at, at work coming down with the flu. So it's the same thing with horses. It's a, it's a disease caused by a virus that, that spreads very rapidly. Uh, and 
Um, in in horses, it, it has always been one of the, the leading causes of infectious upper respiratory disease. And horse owners, of course, we've all learned a lot from COVID-19 that respiratory viruses, they can change or drift or there's a new strain that, that occurs, which is true of equine influenza too. So can you explain that to us just a little Part of the, the survival strategy of, of this virus, influenza is, is really a very simple virus, but it, it, it survives by having a, a very effective strategy, uh, which is basically it, it, it's always changing its, its spots. It's always changing its appearance to the immune system. You can have a... a, a a perfectly good immunity to last year's strain or the or the strain from five years ago, but it doesn't work anymore against this year's strain because the virus has mutated just enough to to keep the immune system off balance. So the, the same thing is, has happened with with COVID. In, in fact, thinking about uh, what I wanted to say today, I think the the COVID emergency of the last two years really. Um, helps to reinforce some points that that uh, people should remember in connection with their horses as well as as with their own personal health. And and that is that these viruses do spread very easily. They're not necessarily fatal. Influenza in horses is seldom fatal, except in very young foals, neonatal foals. The vaccines exist. They're good vaccines, but they do not produce lifelong immunity because the virus has its strategy for keeping the immune system off balance. Well, that's a that's a very good explanation of how all this is going. It helps me understand even COVID a little better. So as far as equine flu goes, what horses are most at risk for flu? Any horse is potentially at risk, but the the horses that um, that travel, that go to events, that mingle with with uh, with other horses that that are not. Uh, in, in its usual social group, uh, performing horses, for example, that uh, that that go to to race meets or or um, or event meets or sales, and suddenly they're they're thrown into contact with a large number of of horses that coming you know they come from all around the country. Um, they are they've been shipped in. And the, the shipping process in, in, is kind of stressful for horses, and, and uh, the stress can help some diseases um, take hold. That uh, if if they were not stressed, maybe they would just throw it off. But but uh, here they are at at a sales meet or a, or an event, and uh, you know there's a 200 horses there, and 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 uh, maybe all 200 have been vaccinated, but some of them were vaccinated five, five months and three weeks ago. And so their immunity is, is starting to, to wear off. And so if, if uh, flu happens to uh, take hold in, in, uh, in that horse, you know, that, 
provides a breeding ground to kind of amplify the risk to to the other horses around it. So it is it is a disease that um, survives by spreading rapidly from from low immunity animals to to animals that that if if they were by themselves you know standing in in their paddock or with you know with the same five horses that it sees every day of the year then you know the those horses would would in in that situation they would not be at risk it so it 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 spreads and when you throw horses from from different parts of the country together then that that is a place where spread becomes easy it's like airport terminals for for people oh that's that's always a scary one how can a horse owner best protect a horse from equine influenza well, as I said, there are good vaccines, and that's always the starting point. The vaccines are a lot better now than they were 30 years ago when, when I first um, um, came into this field. There are uh, different kinds of vaccines, but, but all vaccines are, are designed to stimulate uh, an, an immune response against, against the agent, in this case, against equine influenza. And the uh, American Association for Equine Practitioners has guidelines for vaccination for horses. Those, those guidelines are, are reviewed periodically to, to keep them up to date. For equine influenza, this is what is called a, a risk-based uh, vaccination guideline, meaning that, like I said, the horse that is just standing all, all alone in his paddock is a low-risk horse, and and maybe once a year is sufficient vaccination for a low-risk horse. When you have uh, the high-risk horse that is always traveling around, um, you know, like I said, uh, the the airport terminal analogy. You know, the the more time it spends in airport terminals, the higher risk it, it is at, and so it it should be vaccinated more frequently. And I would say, um, six months um, really is 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 in in my view, it, it ought to be adequate, and sometimes it isn't quite adequate. Um, and, and so uh, maybe when a horse is getting to be four and five months out from its last flu vaccination and it's going to an event or a race meet, then the the owner should really think seriously about getting it revaccinated okay. instead of waiting until the six months have expired. And what about um, management and biosecurity of the animal? Well, that, that's another area that I think COVID has put fresh in, in people's minds with you know, mask wearing, um, um, social distancing. Well, those, um, of course, we don't put masks on horses, but social distancing is basically the equivalent of, of what we call uh, isolation or, or quarantine. And, and uh, so if, if uh, a horse farm has Horses coming onto the property from um, from out of town, for example, those horses have potentially been exposed. Uh, they the uh, farm operator, the uh, the owner should consider 
the the safety of his resident animals um, uh, against the, the possibility that these these horses coming onto the farm might be bringing some disease with them, some disease like equine influenza or other diseases, herpes, for example. Um, the basically uh, a, a, an animal coming onto the farm really ought to be socially distanced and until it has been um, cleared by by uh, uh, well, for for uh, humans for COVID, it was two weeks isolation, and and I think two weeks isolation for new arrivals on the farm is, is also a, a, a good idea. Um, so quarantine, we've been talking about quarantine for years, and now I think COVID has has um, reinforced that uh, quarantine. Uh, is effective for people and it would be effective for horses. Vaccination, of course, we, we've talked about and vaccination is protects the individual animal uh, against a, a low level of exposure. Um, one thing to remember is, is that for all these contagious diseases, there is what we call an infectious dose. And Usually, not always, but usually the infectious dose is, is some large multiple of, of the minimum dose that can be detected by PCR. Now, we, we use PCR. Uh, diagnostic labs use PCR to detect equine influenza in nasal swabs. And PCR is a valuable tool a very weak PCR reading is, you have to wonder, is that really an infectious dose? But it is a warning sign because what is yeah. what is a weak level today might be a much higher level tomorrow. You know, if, if the horse is, is, has just got sick, you know, it, it could be just starting to shed today and really shedding full blast tomorrow or, or the day after. So the, uh, the vaccinated horse um, had probably more resistant to a low level of exposure than a non-vaccinated horse. A non-vaccinated horse that, that is, let's say it's a weanling. It's had no prior exposure. It's, had, it's dam. Um, had exposure, had been vaccinated, had had maternal antibodies that had passed on to its full, but those maternal antibodies aren't going to last forever. Uh, they they may last six months at the most. Um, the uh, um, by then, you know, the full has, has turned a weanling, and and now his maternal antibodies have all decayed away, and and it is now at risk. And so when it, when it gets to be weanling age, um, uh, it, it is time to, for the owner and, and the, the, the farm veterinarian to start planning on the vaccination schedule uh, for that weanling. And I've forgotten what the initial question was now, but I, I hope I covered it. No, it was, it was, we were just talking about protecting horses. So that was, that was all great. How do we, how, horse owners should let their vets swab the horse and submit it to know what 
the horse has, because it can have more than one thing at a time. But tell us about those tests and what happens to it and why those are so important. Well, there are uh, actually two different, well, three different levels of, of testing. Uh, the old fashioned way, which we still do in my lab, was to try and isolate virus. And it's, it's the least sensitive. Um, we still do it because we want the isolates. Uh, we, we use those isolates to characterize the viruses that are uh, in circulation today in comparison with the viruses that are in the vaccines. Um, but uh, like I said, isolation is, is uh, the least sensitive. Uh, there are stall side tests, rapid, uh, rapid influenza detection tests, which are kind of intermediate in sensitivity. Their big advantage is they are fast. They're a simple. A veterinarian can do them you know, on their own and, and, and read out the result to the, to the horse owner in, in 15 or 20 minutes time. Uh, and um, because they are intermediate in sensitivity, there is the, the, uh, the danger of a, of a false negative result. And, and we see that with the COVID testing too, the, that uh, the, the concern uh, over false negative results. False positives are fairly rare. Um, but uh, but false negatives are are not rare, unfortunately. It it all depends on the the quality of, of the nasal swab sample, and so uh, a, a a poor uh, job of nasal swabbing is liable to give a, a poor test result. And when you're dealing with a horse that does not like having a swab stuck up his nose, it is it is it is really easy to get a poor sample. Um, the uh, ideal sample is a nasopharyngeal swab, which means sticking the, the, the swab about uh, 16 inches up the horse's nose. And um, the, the, the funny thing is, you know, it's the first three inches that it objects to the most. And if you can get past there, the next foot isn't so bad. But, um, uh, you know, sticking it three inches in or 16 inches in, the horse might um, fight you, you know, the way that, that a horse can fight. They're bigger than you are. Um, so, so all that is to say that, that a, uh, a, a poor swab sample can give a, a poor test result. Uh, and that means that that the PCR testing becomes more important because, because it is so sensitive, it is um, less affected by a, a, a poor swab sample, okay? It, it could probably still detect virus even if, if the sample is not that good. Now, there are um, circumstances that, that always interfere uh, you know, I pointed out one, which is the horse might fight you on it. Uh, another is is the the way the sample is stored, how long it takes to get to the diagnostic lab. Um, the, the PCR is is not 
omniscient. Um, you know, it, it can't compensate for a, a sample that is taken, um, you know, four or five days to get to the diagnostic lab and then sitting on a loading dock in, in 90 degree heat for most of that time. You know, it, you know the sample is probably going to be ruined. Um, ideally, the sample should be on ice from beginning to end and should, you know, should take you know, like overnight to, to get to the diagnostic lab. You know, that, that is the ideal. Uh, and uh, there are um, uh, programs in place such as the, the Merck um, um, bio, uh, uh, respiratory biosurveillance program that, uh, that helps facilitate um, the, the uh, sending swabs to a, a diagnostic lab prepared to receive them. You know, the, the nasal swab, the original sample is, is the weak link in, in diagnosis. Now, even going back a, a step earlier than that, you know, recognizing that the horse is, is infected in the first place, you know, that is not an automatic. I mean, sometimes now the horse could have had a fever for a day or two before, before the groom notices it's been off its feed. Um, that you know maybe the the cough does not develop for a day or two. Um, you know it 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 is uh, uh, I I think valuable for the, the horse owners from the standpoint of of the health of their horses that their horses get monitor daily and that you know if, if anything is a little bit off then they get a, uh, their temperature taken uh, and that at the first sign of disease that the vet gets called and and if it's respiratory that a nasal swab gets taken at the first sign and not you know three or four days later which happens a lot to your lab. I mean, you've been there for a long time. You've come up with a lot of cool stuff on viruses, especially equine influenza. So what's going on in your lab right now? Right now, we have been intrigued by the outbreak that occurred almost worldwide at the end of 2018, 2019, um, an equine influenza outbreak. And that really was uh, happening on four different continents. Uh, um, uh, Western Europe and England probably um, um, had their biggest outbreak in over 10 years, but there were there were uh, um, outbreaks also in in South America, Africa, which was we believe that was um, triggered by uh, the importation of, of polo ponies from from Argentina into, into Africa, Central Africa. And uh, which again points out how easily this disease can spread. You know, it, it, I mean, Africa is only 24 hours by plane from South America. It's a small world now. And it's a small world for viruses too. Um, and uh, and in the United States, you know, it, it was not a killer outbreak, but it, but we did have elevated levels of equine flu in the United States. And in all these regions, there were 
cases where it, it appeared that, that vaccinated horses were still getting sick. They weren't getting as sick, generally. Uh, so, so the vaccine still had some effect, but we were surprised really to see that, uh, that, that there was this incidence of, of disease in, in horses that we would have expected to be protected. And so, you know, when we started seeing that, our first thought was the virus has changed, which which we know it, it does over time. And so we thought, OK, it's changed. And now we um, uh, the, the strains in the vaccines need to be updated to reflect what is circulating now instead of what was circulating when those when those vaccines were developed. We do these, like I said, we we try to get virus isolates so that we can compare them by different tests. We could see subtle differences, but we weren't seeing the the big differences that that would indicate um, that that the vaccine should not have, have been working. And, you know, like I said, we run different tests and our, our conventional test is, is um, to throw out some, some techno babble. It's called the hemagglutination inhibition test. And um, that, that was um, not showing the differences we thought um, we, we were going to see. So we, like, we're part of a worldwide network um, that, that does equine influenza surveillance. And at our, our, our meeting in 2019 and again in 2020, uh, our, our network um, um, uh, resorted to information coming out of the University of Cambridge that they use a technique called antigenic cartography, which is basically a way of assembling a lot of hemagglutination inhibition test results into a map that, uh, that, that you can pretty simply interpret. Um, so it, it, it's a big, for, for me, it's a big time saver because I'm not the one that has to do the computations. It's, it's really computation intensive. Um, it, it, you know, they, they, they do the, uh, the analysis in five dimensions and then reduce it down to two so that I can figure it out. Okay. Um, and uh, the antigenic cartography was not showing differences between the 2019 outbreak strains and the vaccine strains either. So we started, now all this is based on the hemagglutination inhibition test. And so we started thinking, is, is that test missing something? Uh, one thing that it could be missing is that uh, the, the viruses were still, or pardon me, I, let me let me say the the antibodies that the vaccines were raising still inhibited hemagglutination, but they weren't inhibiting the virus growth. Now, so, so that is called neutralization. That that the antibodies are supposed to neutralize the virus, and maybe they weren't. Um, so we applied a, a different test called 
called the, the serum neutralization assay, which is a lot more labor intensive than hemagglutination inhibition. And so that's why it had never really been routinely done. But, but now we're going to start, start doing it more often. Our first results with the serum neutralization test, in fact, all our results with the serum neutralization test still don't see a difference between these, these new virus strains and the old ones. So we had another thought that we're looking at the virus gene called the hemagglutinin, but there's other virus genes, and, and one in particular uh, called the neuraminidase um, is also believed to be important in the, the protection of, of horses from influenza. In other words, that antibodies against the neuraminidase might uh, are, are involved in protection, and maybe the virus has changed the neuraminidase, not the hemagglutinin. So sorry for all the, all the long words. You know, we, we use our own shorthand, but I, I won't go into that. We the neuraminidase. There's no simple test um, for for comparing different virus strains by their neuraminidase. Uh, so we used a, a complicated test uh, called an enzyme-linked lectin assay um, to compare how antibodies against the neuraminidase were reacting against these latest outbreak strains compared to the old ones. And nothing, still nothing. We, we still don't see any difference. Um, um, in, in the neuraminidase. And so we are still um, left to wonder why we were seeing vaccinated horses still get sick in that outbreak. Now, I, I will point out most vaccinated horses did not get sick. And so that, that is still reinforcing that, that the vaccines are mainly effective and so why did some horses not um, not be protected, some vaccinated horses not be protected? You know, there's now we're, I think, starting to wonder about horse to horse variation yeah. uh, in response to vaccination. And again, we see have seen this in humans with COVID, that, that not everybody reacts to COVID vaccination the same way. And in, in some people, um, even if, if the initial antibody response is good, you know, we see in some people it wears off faster than in other people. And so, you know, we're falling back on that as, as our explanation for, for what we saw in, in the equine flu outbreaks two years ago. Now, um, the... Upshot is that all our tests not showing any deficit on the part of the vaccines, that there, there's not been a, a, a rationale to change the vaccines because, you know, that's an expensive and, and um, time-consuming process for the, for the vaccine manufacturers. And if we don't have a good rationale for them to do it, then then why should they do it? You know, the, as far as we could tell, the existing vaccines are still working. So, you know, it, it's taken us the last year or so of working in my laboratory and, and in others' laboratories 
to to come to that uh, to that conclusion. But but that's where we stand as of today. Okay, now by six months from now, we could all change again. You know, oh, it, no. and, and influenza is, is a moving target, <laughs> and and uh, and and so all our all our conclusions are only good for now and that's going to be like COVID also i think yeah you know that my my prediction is that an annual COVID booster is is probably going to be in the works for humans just like an annual flu booster yeah that makes that makes sense well is there anything else dr chambers that you would like to tell horse owners about equine influenza you've, you've covered a lot today and i really appreciate it i always learn something every time i, I talk to you I, I just I think I just want to reinforce the idea that horses that are traveling that are exposed to other horses, you know, that is a great way to pick up a variety of diseases, not not just influenza, although influenza is a, is a leading one, and that horse owners should be cognizant of the fact that you know they could when they when they bring their horses back to the farm. You know that they could be bringing back something that they don't want uh, that that is that it, their horse is carrying, and so um, reinforce isolation, social distancing for a period of time until they're they're sure their horse is uh, their returning horse really is healthy. Well, those are some good tips. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today, Dr. Chambers, for the Equus Farm Calls podcast. And a big thanks to our audience for joining us today. And um, Dr. Chambers wants one more thing. And one more thing just occurred to me that yeah. to, to mention to horse owners. Um, you know, influenza is easy to kill. You know, soap, detergents, Lysol, all those things will kill it. And so, you know, being be liberal and washing your hands and, and disinfecting your equipment. Okay, thank you. No, so that is, that's a perfect ending because they're owners. There's something we all can do. And, and I'm probably not as good as others, but let's make sure not share our equipment. Or if we do, let's make sure we're getting it clean in between horses. So good point, Dr. Chambers. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks to our audience for joining us. And I welcome any input that you uh, have for the podcast and hope you'll tell your friends about it. And if you have any suggestions or comments, feel free to contact me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.